Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for this time. We thank you, God, that we get to come together and to sing your praises together. And uh, God, I, I know that this morning has just been an encouragement for my soul and my heart as I realize, um, as I see more clearly, just a little bit more clearly this morning, um, just how big you are, how wonderful you are, and how you provide for us in all circumstances, and how you have encouraged my heart this morning, God, by um, through the singing of the saints. What a glorious thing to be a part of your family, worshiping you, digging into your word that you have given to us so that we, we might know you and love you and follow you. God, I pray we would be utterly dependent on you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage in, in Scripture is um, it's one of those that it, it's tricky. As you go through and you're teaching uh, the Bible, and if, if you teach the Bible for a long time, you, you come to, there are some passages that you come to, and, you, um, and, and when, when I read it, and I think, oh, man, I really have to dig in. I have to figure out what is this saying, and I have to, I have to consult a lot of different you know, commentaries, and I need to really dig in and make sure that I'm pulling out all the right things. And and I feel a little overwhelmed at the beginning of the week. So there are those passages where I feel overwhelmed when I first look at it. And I think, how am I going to communicate all that this passage holds? And then there are other passages that, um, that I read at the beginning. I'm like, oh yeah, I got that. that that's, that's like right in my wheelhouse. And so this is one of those passages. And so what I found is um, inevitably in, in sermon preparation... Um, if, I, if it's a passage that I look at and I kind of freak out at the beginning, over time God gives a peace in my heart and strengthens that and, and builds me up. And so that by the time I get to Sunday, I'm like, all right, here we go. Like this is all, this is all culmination of God, of all the things that you've done in me through this passage. Like let's, let's go. Or I get to a passage that I'm like, oh yeah, I got that. And then over time um, throughout the week, I get a little bit more anxiety and more anxiety until I freak out on Sunday morning. This is the latter, okay? And so what I've learned in sermon prep is that I'm going to either freak out at the beginning of the week or at the end of the week. But one thing's for sure, I am going to freak out at some point during the, during the week. And so you just get the overflow of that here this morning. So if this is your first time, this should be a treat, all right? So... Um, because this is like, this is my wheelhouse. Like if, if uh, I had said to somebody earlier this week that if uh, Robbie was scheduled to preach and you know, as he was walking up to the stage, like he tripped and broke his arm and had to be carted out and they're like, all right, Jay, you're up. Like this is one of the passages that I would grab and I would just be like, all right, I'll just get up and let's, let's preach this passage. And yet in the midst of this, this week, I've learned something really incredible and really this morning, God, pounding home to my heart how desperately I need him, especially the times when I think I don't. So he says this in, in, in Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, 
but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. What we see here is this, this kind of first sending where Jesus has been doing all of this ministry. He has been healing people. He has been casting out demons. The disciples have been following him. We have walked through um, over the, the course of the last several weeks. Robbie unpacked the differences between the disciples and the crowd that a lot of people were drawn to Jesus because of the things he was doing. But then there were these 12 who Jesus had selected and said, you're going to follow me. And then he gets to this place where now he takes those 12 and he pairs them up and he says, okay, now all these things that you have seen me doing, go and do them. Now we have to ask the question of why would Jesus do that? So that seems really normal to us now, again, because we have 2,000 years of church history. We've seen that, read it. We know about the Great Commission. But at that time, they didn't understand that. It would have been very strange for a rabbi to send out students to do the work of the rabbi. That, that didn't happen. It was the, the students, their job was just to stick close to the rabbi, learn everything they could, and then eventually they may become a, a rabbi and then other people would, would come to them and learn from them. But this whole mindset of Jesus sending them was something that they, they, weren't, they, they weren't ready for. And so Jesus sends out the 12. And so we have to ask the question really quickly, like why, why would he even do this? You know that there are people who are going to be asking that question. Why, why did Jesus send out the 12? Like was it so he could cover more ground? Just figure like, hey, six teams out there is much better than just me doing that. Well, no, of course not. That's, that's ridiculous. Is it because he was tired and he needed a break? We know that's not true. Or maybe it's because the disciples had something really valuable to contribute that Jesus didn't have. And so they had some kind of expertise or some kind of area of strength that, that was lacking in Jesus that they needed to fulfill. Well, no, of course not. The reason that Jesus sent the disciples is because that was the plan. That's the plan. We can try to overcomplicate this, but God sent Jesus, and so Jesus sends us. It's that simple. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I don't want to overcomplicate this, so I've really tried to break this down into just two really big points in this, in this message. Two really things that hopefully are not earth-shattering to you, but ones that are so crucial to us being faithful to God. And one of those is this. You do not exist for you. You exist for God. Since the beginning of time, God created mankind to display his glory throughout the universe. That's why he created us. He didn't create us because he was lonely. He didn't create us uh, because something was lacking. He created us to display his glory 
to all the nations. That is why you exist. You exist to display the glory of God. God builds you up and he blesses you and gives you an inheritance and and transforms you and gives you new life so that through you, his glorious name will be proclaimed across all nations for all eternity. And I am convinced that one of the major issues that we have in our Christian faith, one of the, when, when we get hit these stumbling blocks and these obstacles and it feels like I'm stuck and I just can't grow, this is one of the big reasons why. I mean, you look at Abraham when Jesus, or when God spoke to Abraham and when he spoke about him in Genesis, he says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? That is why God is going to bless Abraham. Through him, he's going to make him a great nation, so that through that nation, all the nations will be blessed. That is why he delivers the people of Israel out of Egypt. That is why he gives them the promised land. It is why he gives them victory in different situations. It is is why he does all the things that he is doing. And it's ultimately why he sends his son. Your life is about spreading the glory of God to all peoples. And so in Jesus, if the question was, to Jesus, like, why are you sending them out right now? Why are you doing this? I think the answer would have simply been, that's the plan. That's the whole reason. That's why I'm investing in them. That's why I'm pouring into them so that they would be transformed and then the world would be transformed through them. In John 9, we see this great passage where the disciples are walking by, and, and we've, we've quoted this many times before because it so perfectly encapsulates this idea that um, as they passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And if we really read that, and if we put ourselves in that man's situation, I think that most of us, deep down, if we were honest, we would say, that seems unfair. That God would say, look, this guy isn't blind because of anything he did wrong or or because of anything anyone else did wrong. He was born blind and lived like this so that the glory of God would be made known. That man's life isn't about him. His blindness isn't about him. If you belong to Christ, your life is not about you any longer. So whenever you ask the question, one of the, probably the number one question that we as God's people ask God is why? Why did this happen? Why are you letting this be the case? 
And the 30,000-foot view, the 30,000-foot answer is always so that the glory of God would be displayed through your life to the whole world. For both positive and negative things. Why, why did my business succeed? Why did I get this promotion? Or why did I get laid off? Why can't I find work? Why did I get cancer? Why did God give me a gift in this? Why did God give me weaknesses here? The answer is, why, is to spread the glory of God, to display the glory and the sufficiency of Christ. Now look, I get it. Specific answers below that are much harder to come by. And we should never say that flippantly and, and not understanding. God understands our grief in that. He understands the anguish. Like read the Psalms. God doesn't, God doesn't reject us for asking that question. You, when we ask, why God, why are you doing this in me? He's not looking at us and being like, look, I've already answered that. Just go read the Psalms. Like, you'll be fine. No, he's, he, he's understanding our pain. Like, he is with us. We have this great high priest that, that understands what it's like to be afflicted like that. But ultimately, if we are looking for some other big answer besides he did it for his glory, then we will fall short. That question will always go unanswered. He's always building a platform so that we might display the glorious worth of knowing him. So that's why he sends the 12. It's what he has planned to do from the beginning. This is it. He's doing it. This is kind of the beginning of that. And he's going to do it again. And he's going to do it again. And then he's going to ultimately do it in Acts when he ascends and he leaves them and he's going to send them again. Our God is a sending God. He is building us up to send us out so that we might proclaim his worth and sufficiency. Not so that we can become better people. Not so that we can have a better life. There's a British actor. I just saw this article recently this week. It's a British actor who um, was uh, dying of cancer. And, um, you know, I, I, I got sucked in. I clicked on it because it, it said something about, he had a smiling picture of him smiling and saying that he's lived the most blessed life or that he's had the, he's had the best life. He's 33 years old. And so I read the article expecting fully to see um, from, from a, a more secular um, publication that is not known for displaying God's goodness or his glory to anyone. I, I fully expected it was going to be another humanist story of just, you know, like returning something vague into the universe and, you know, being grateful or, or whatever, just kind of generic things. That's what I fully expected. And I'm reading the article and, and everything is just like, it's like the script that I've read a million times. And he, he writes this post, and then he says this. They quoted his uh, Facebook post. He said, if you're wondering why I'm not sounding freaked out by the whole situation, well, initially I was. But as always in a time of crisis, should have been way before, I'm ashamed to say, I turned to God and my Christian faith, he shared. Been reading the Bible daily, 
listening to Christian songs and sermons, and it's changed my entire mindset to nothing but peace and gratitude. Guys, regardless of a few medical issues, I have been blessed with the best life and the best friends. And aside from not following God more diligently earlier in life, I don't have any regrets. He finishes saying, if you don't know Jesus already, my only hope is that you get to know him before you get to my state. He'll totally rock your world in the best way. Part of his story is asking why. Why now? And then in his dependency on Christ, in his digging into the word and his pursuing Jesus in the midst of that, he discovered that he has this platform. Listen, your life is about the Great Commission. Period. It doesn't matter what Myers-Briggs or whatever personality test says about you. It doesn't matter how you were raised or what you feel comfortable with. The Bible is crystal clear that you exist to spread the glory of God to all nations, which includes your neighborhood, which includes your workplace, which includes your family. But here's the thing. He often does it. He sends us in our weakness, not in our strength. So that's the second big thing. So the first big thing is you cannot read the Bible and come away thinking that your life is about you. You just can't. You can't read the Bible and come away thinking that, that what God is doing in your life is, is just about you. You are sent. And the second thing, though, is you are sent in your weakness, not in your strength. You are sent in utter dependency on God to do everything, not in self-sufficiency. And we don't like that, do we? I mean, like we get riled up sometimes and like I've gotten amped up before when, when I feel like someone is stirring me to say like, I want to spend my life for the gospel. I want to do, I want to do incredible things for God. Like I just want to pour my life out and immediately my thoughts go to all the things that I think I'm strength, strong in and I ignore all the things, all of my weaknesses. Because that's what the world tells us to do, right? Like find whatever you're good at and then just keep doing that thing. That's your gift to the world, is to use all of that um, for, just for the, for the good of the world. And there's an element to which that's true, for sure. God gives us different gifts, and we are meant to use our gifts to glorify Him. And that is powerful, and it is important. But we, we need to be careful that we don't forget that it's most often in our weaknesses that His worth is magnified. It's most often in our weaknesses that God uses it to, to display how glorious he really is, how sufficient he really is, how beautiful and magnificent he really is. And so Jesus sends them out in dependency and in giving them reminders that you are dependent. He sends them two by two. Right? He sends them with a team. He says, you're not, you're not alone. You shouldn't be alone. Like you're, we're called to stand shoulder to shoulder with others going in the same direction. And if there's anything that I know being raised in the Midwest is we love independence. We love self-sufficiency. We love to be able to, to, to decide how to do things. 
and when to do them. And, and we, we want to make those decisions for ourselves. We don't like asking for help. We don't like acknowledging that we need help. We think we're just fine on our own. And yet Jesus is constantly setting the example of you're not okay on your own. It does not work that way. We know this. I mean, we know that it's important that when you're sent out, you're sent out together. He sends them out two by two for a lot of reasons. One, one is so they would have um, encouragement with one another, that they could pray together. They could get counsel on different situations because they know that no one person sees things clearly. You need other people to, to speak into that, to give a fuller picture of what's going on. There are some complementary gifts going on. But one of the reasons why Jesus sends them out two by two that I think is especially relevant to our culture is simply this. It, the testimony is stronger. See, in, in Jewish law, the testimony of one witness was not considered credible. So if I see someone committing a crime and I'm the only one that saw it, and I go before the, the council and I say, well, I saw Joe stealing that thing, they're going to say, well, is there someone else that saw it? Because if not, we're not going to convict Joe just because you said this is what you saw. And so part of what Jesus is doing and sending them out two by two is because he knows if he sends one guy out to a synagogue and, and he just goes out and he shares the gospel, or he tells about the coming of the kingdom, people are going to discredit it right away. They're going to say, nope, that's just one guy. We, we're not, uh, we don't believe that. But when two witnesses come together, so one guy says, hey, Jesus healed this blind man. They'd be like, okay, maybe I'll go check him out, but I'm not going to believe it. But then when a second witness comes in and says, no, 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 I saw it too. That's when it gets powerful. And I can honestly tell you that over the years of doing ministry, I have seen this principle proven true over and over and over again. That when I share the gospel with somebody, or if I'm kind, and if I try to be generous towards somebody, if they just see me by myself, then it's easy to dismiss. It's easy to, to dismiss one person. It is difficult to dismiss multiple people. So the same thing happens. You go out in the community. You can go to the school and you can say, hey, we, we had, this happened to us back in Denver when we were going into an underprivileged school. And they would have people come in every once in a while and say, hey, I'd like to help out. What could I possibly do? And we discovered there was a power in multiple people. And so one of the things that we encouraged them to do was they, they said, you know, hey, one of us could go and volunteer at the school. And I said, well, what if all of you got together and went? And so that's what they did. And one of the things at the school, one of their feedback was, we're used to one person coming in and saying, hey, we'd like to help. But then all of a sudden, all of these people from the same community are coming, asking for a volunteer application, asking for an application to be a substitute teacher or to be a chaperone. And that made them ask questions. I can dismiss you, but I'm going to have a harder time dismissing all of you. So we go together. You're not alone. I mean, look, if Paul couldn't go it alone, I'm not sure why you think you're going to nail it. Paul's always with someone. So he sends them two by two. He sends them in his authority. He gives them the authority to cast out unclean spirits. 
And so this is the stewarded authority. It comes from Jesus. You don't go in your own authority. It is given to you. And as you are sent, as Christians, as we are sent, we are sent with the authority of Christ, the authority of God's word. It is not our own authority. This is really important that we discern the difference between that because when we feel like we're sent with our own authority, that's when we become self-righteous and arrogant. But when we are sent with an authority that is not our own, but it comes from Jesus, powerful, mighty things happen. Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So Jesus, part of his sending is saying, you are going under my authority. You are not going on your own and you are not going on your own authority. It is with the authority I have given you. But the big thing he says is this charge that he gives them. He tells them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he's communicating to them that as I send you, like this is what your life is about, I've built you up to send you, that as I send you, I send you together, I send you in my authority, and I send you with this reminder that you are utterly dependent on me. I mean, listen, if, if you and I, I don't know about you, but I, I think if, if most of us were put in this situation, we were being sent out, we would have a lot more questions. Like this paragraph would be a lot longer if, if I'm there and I think if some of you are there with me. Like we're going to ask a lot more questions like, okay, well, where exactly are you sending me? Like which towns am I actually going to go to and which house am I supposed to go to? I know for sure I'm taking a much bigger suitcase. Why? Because he wants them to be reminded constantly. It's the same reason why he only let the Israelites gather manna one day at a time. You got to be completely dependent on him. And we don't like being that dependent. We like self-sufficiency. We like to operate out of confidence and certainty. If I'm going to be sent, I want to be sent in my strength where I know what I'm doing. But that's not how we're sent. And we see this all throughout biblical history. Abraham wanted to function out of the certainty and confidence of, of having a child and knowing that younger women bear a child. And so he goes outside of his wife to have a child. Moses wanted to function out of the certainty and confidence of his own giftedness. So he argued with God and told him he's not equipped and not the guy to lead God's people out of slavery. Gideon wanted to function out of the confidence of a strong army, so God depleted it. The Israelites wanted to function out of certainty of victory, and so they stayed in a standoff with the Philistines until God used David, a little shepherd boy, to defeat Goliath. And then you would think that a king would be born rich and in a kingdom, not in a stable. And then you would think that Jesus would select the powerful to spread his message, but he chooses the poor, the outcast, and the weak. Read the Gospels and notice how many times Jesus declares the most glorious truths, the biggest revelations to the lowest in society. Virtually every time we have a moment where Jesus is saying something really magnificent about who he is, he's telling somebody that the world would never believe. If you want to be sent in self-confidence in your own strength, then you are in the wrong faith. 
So let me ask you, what is your objection to being sent? I know, because I know that, um, I just know human nature. I've been around this long enough, and I know in my own heart what happens. So when we start talking about being sent, we all have kind of an objection that pops up. What is your objection? What is the yeah, but in that sentence? Whatever it is, I would argue that's what you put your confidence in. Anything that you're saying, like, look, if, if, if it wasn't for this, I would absolutely go and display his glory everywhere. If it wasn't for this or this, like, I, I would totally do it. I understand that's what he teaches. I get it. But, but this one thing. Once my, once my health issues get sorted out, once our financial status is more stable, once my home is less chaotic and my life is less busy, Look, those circumstances might change how you are being sent, but not if you are being sent. What if those weaknesses are what make you the ideal candidate? Look, do you ever wonder why Paul was sent to the Gentiles? Paul was the the, the perfect Jew, zealous for the law, above reproach, every reason to boast in the flesh, and in our culture, if that guy gets converted, we'd think, like, send him back to the Jews. Like, that's, he, send him to where he has this testimony. He can go back to them, and he can tell them, look, I, I have confidence. And he even does do that later on, but that's not what he's done. He's sent to the Gentiles. He's sent to the ones who he per- persecuted. I think a big reason is because of Paul, whose reputation for zeal for Israel was spread far and wide. If he could proclaim that the gospel is for the Gentiles too, that is a powerful testimony. I can, I can tell people to read the Bible. So here's another example. I, I can tell people to read the Bible, and I get this a lot where I'm like, hey, you need to read and, and get into the Word and really read it. And, and what I often I know is either being said or unsaid to me is like, well, you're a pastor, of course. Like, you read the Bible. Like, that's easy for you. Like, you went to school for that and, and all that. Well, and that's true. It's, it's easy to dismiss me in that situation. But when someone who hasn't read a full book since eighth grade starts testifying to how wonderful it is to be reading God's Word— that's powerful. Like that was one of my favorite things about Max Katzbeck's testimony. How he struggled in school with a learning disability and struggled to, to make grades. And then I watch him reading and studying Greek. Come on. Like that's an incredible testimony of what God is doing in his life and has done. Maybe you say like, you know what? I would love to spread God's glory, but I'm just not good with words. Well, that makes it all the more powerful when you do speak. Like, What if your weaknesses are actually meant as the platform to display the glory of God through your utter dependence on him? What if that were the case? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So as you are sent, you should expect to be in over your head. That should be your expectation 
Don't expect that when you get sent and when, you, when you're sent out of here every Sunday, when we commission you and send you out, don't expect that you're ever going to go in confidence. And if you are going in your own confidence, in your own ability to understand your own strength, then you're actually in a really dangerous place. That's, again, where self-righteousness and arrogance comes out to the world. And that is not the fruit of the Spirit. But when you are sent in your weaknesses and utter dependency on Christ, then humility comes forth. The biggest objection I think I get when, whenever asking people and saying, hey, did you know that your life is not your own? Did you know that you exist to display God's glory? The biggest objection I get is I don't have the answers. I'm afraid I'm going to say something wrong. I don't think I know enough. So let's just take that. Maybe, maybe that's you. Like I would love to tell people about Jesus, but I just don't know enough right now. So let me get this straight. So your plan is to wait until you have everything figured out before you share the gospel with anyone. Your plan is to wait until you don't need the Holy Spirit at all. That sounds like a terrible plan. Like, tell me how that works out for you. That's kind of what we do. I need to study all of these questions. I need to have an answer for every question that gets asked me. I need to prepare constantly so that, so that I will have all my bases covered, which is what, what I'm effectively saying is I need to make sure that I can handle all of this in my own knowledge and in my own strength and in my own experience. I know people who share the gospel like that. I've heard it and I have seen it and it is terrible. It is cringeworthy. That comes off with like flippant answers. So someone says, hey, I'm struggling in my marriage. And, and so they just kind of, oh yeah, no, I know how to deal with hard marriages. Like I know, I know the answers to that. Or I'm struggling with doubt. Like, no, no, I got that. I've got the answer for that. So you either don't think you have enough answers or you think you know all of them. Which person do you think God is going to use more powerfully and displaying his glory. Look, looking foolish when sharing the gospel is not a bad thing. I often ask when someone says, well, I I don't have the answers to all these questions. I'm afraid I'm going to say something wrong. And I'll respond with, like, well, so what? What if you do say something wrong? What if you don't know the answer? Well, then I'll look foolish. So what? Paul speaks to the church in Corinth again. He says, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When you speak out of your own confidence and your own understanding and your own knowledge, you're glorifying your own knowledge and your own experience and your own skill. But sometimes God uses 
your weakness in those areas to display the power and the wisdom of God. So grow in your understanding, but don't lean on it. You'll never have all of the answers, but by God's grace, you will have the right one in the right moment. That's why Jesus says to his disciples, he, later on he'll say, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is real. This actually happens. If you, if you would take this challenge, here's, here's what you would see. A lot of people look at this and they say, well, I, I'm so far behind. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't have all the answers. Test God in this. Try this out. Just read something. Just start in Genesis. Just read and then see how many times during the day that passage becomes relevant and is used for his glory. It will happen. You'll study a passage. You'll pray about it. You'll seek to understand it. And then that day, God will provide that situation. Like if you read Genesis 1 and then see how many times the creation story comes into play. You don't have to know all of the answers. You need to know what God gives you in that moment to know to speak. And little by little, as you grow in your understanding of him and you start to see, yes, you will accumulate more understanding. There will be more things that you get excited about, more things that you can see. But don't think that, that God isn't ordaining all of those things. In so many ways, it's, it's like, like, you know, when I would do math tutoring, when I was, a, when I was younger, I would... I would Tutor students in math, which is what math tutoring is. I don't know why I just restated that. All right, so math tutoring would help kids learn math. And we would do the examples, right? So everybody knows, you remember doing the workbooks or whatever? You do the examples, right? And then all of a sudden you do the problems. Did you ever notice the problems are exactly what the examples are? And you're like, well, yeah, obviously that's the way it's designed. Yes, that's the way it's designed. Like, it would be really weird for me to be tutoring a kid or, or teaching my kid math, and we're doing addition, right? So like, hey, here's how you carry this number into the tens column, and let's practice this, and here you go. And now all of a sudden you get to the assignment, and it's like mixed number division. That would be really weird. You'd say, that's a terrible plan. Like, how you, this is what you were working on, and now you put it into practice. Yeah. Do you think God knows that? Do you think God, as he's growing in you this love for God's creation and the fact that he created something out of nothing and just the marvelousness of that and just the wonder of that, do you think he's going to build that in your heart and then he's going to send you and someone's going to ask you about revelation? He's orchestrating all of that. And what we end up doing is we just sit on the side and say, well, I'm not going to learn any math. Like, unless I can learn everything there is to learn about math, like, I'm not even going to start. I'm not even going to do it. Because what happens if on that test they give me some question about string theory? You don't even know what that is. Neither do I. I heard it once on Quantum Leap. It was awesome. <laughs> you, you don't know. Like, you just sit there and we freak out so much about, like, what if this situation happens? And God's like, I got this. Right now I'm teaching you how to abide in me. Now watch how I use that to spread my glory to others. I think I've shared this before, but the first guy that came to Christ in our, in our ministry out in Colorado 
we shared things like this. We just said, just dive in. Just start abiding in him and see what he does. Like, watch. And so he did. He took that seriously, and he, he jumps in. He just starts whatever he knew. Like that blind man in John 9. You know what he says at the end? That's the guy. That's the guy when they say, like, well, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, nobody, but that the work of God would be displayed in him. That's the dude that later says, when they say, who is he? Who's this Jesus? And he says, look, I don't know. If he's a sinner, if he's not, like, I don't know. Here's what I know. I was blind, but now I see. That's what he needed to say in that moment. He did not need to exegete Revelation 21. He was able to just say, look, this is what needs to be said. I was blind, now I see. And so this friend of mine, as as we're telling him that and saying, look, you're sent. Like, you know Jesus, you are sent. And he's saying, but I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And I said, well, you just keep pursuing Jesus and let him sort all that out. And so he started doing that, sharing the gospel as he knew how, which was very basic information, very basic knowledge. But he knew what God had done in his life. And he called me one time as he was just freaking out because he just had this conversation with one of his employees who was really struggling in their life. And he was talking to this employee and he calls me and I can barely understand him because he's just yelling into the phone. He's like, I just, I don't know what's going on. I just talked to this person. And, and I said, okay, that's great. Like, you know, what did you say? And he's like, well, I, I, was, I was talking with them and trying to give them counsel. And then all of a sudden I thought, this is all bad counsel. I don't even know what I'm saying. He's like, so I just started quoting scripture to her. And I was like, Jerry, that's great. And he goes, I don't know any scripture. (laughs) And so I kind of freaked out. I was like, well, what did you say? And so he starts telling me. He's quoting scripture. And his passages that we had studied and looked through, but he didn't know. He didn't know he memorized it. He didn't know that it sunk into his heart. He didn't know. But what God had done was take these building blocks, these things that he was doing in his life, and reminding him that the word had become flesh and was dwelling among them. And now the spirit abided in him and would give him the words to say when the time came. And so as that was happening, as he's throwing himself out there, he's sent in his weakness. He doesn't know. And the spirit is calling to mind things. And I said, Jerry, that's, that's John 3. That's John 4. Did you see what you're doing? He's like, yeah. I said, isn't that exciting? He's like, it's kind of freaky. Yeah. Because it's real. Please do that. Trust him enough to do that. Don't be ashamed of your weaknesses. Don't be ashamed of your deficiencies. Don't be ashamed of of what what God has done in you. Like, be be excited about that. Be bold about that. Trust him. Go. Be sent. I need to wrap up, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Notice the disciples, when Jesus sends them out, these disciples who had been a stumbling block, had distracted people from the ministry of Jesus, had rebuked him, and had, like, pushed against him, those are the ones that he sends and I wish, and, and, and they go. That's the crazy thing about it. They go. We have no record of what the conversation was. All we see is that they went. And I wish it said what their attitude was about. I wish it, I wish it said what their attitude was in that. Because I could imagine other things. I could imagine Mark saying, but they were afraid. They were very afraid. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? I, I send you in confidence and boldness. And my, like, but we don't have that. Or it could have said they they went with great boldness. It doesn't. 
If, if it would have just attached any emotion, anything to those disciples, joy, fear, boldness, excitement, anything, that would give us like this really great um, point in the sermon of like how we are supposed to approach this, but they don't. Instead, the point is simply they went. And my guess, and it's just a guess, is that some were afraid, like some of you. Some were excited, like some of you. Some felt an unwavering confidence and boldness in the authority that they've been sent in, and some weren't so sure. But they all went. It doesn't say he sent the 12 and eight of them went. They all went together in the authority of Jesus, charged to depend wholly on him. What if it was that simple? Maybe you're here this morning and you're just thinking, you know what, I'm going to church because I just need to get a little something, a little encouragement for my life. And what you're hearing is your life is not your own. Maybe you're coming here and hoping to just be given a little more confidence in your, in your strengths or that you could forget about your weaknesses and be told, you know, your weaknesses don't matter. But what if instead of your weaknesses not mattering, what if what you're hearing is... God is so powerful and so magnificent that he actually will use those weaknesses to display his glory. It's what we were meant to do. What would it look like if, like the disciples, we just went and said, okay? What would it look like if I assumed that I was sent? That I would be on the lookout for opportunities rather than being surprised by them or missing them? That I would not see this as my home? That my goal is not to advance in this world, but to carry out the mission I've been giving? Maybe I would stop pursuing comfort and stop pursuing success in the world's eyes, and I would start pursuing Jesus fully and radically. That maybe my prayers would be more about my heart being transformed than about my circumstances being fixed. And that maybe I, my, my, my continued prayer was that I would be able to be a part of the transformation of others, other hearts. What would it look like if I assumed that God was going to rescue people and let me be a part of that story? One of the ways that I know that God has done this in my life and continues to do this in my life is I'm no longer surprised when someone comes up to me and asks me a question about God. Even when they don't know I'm a pastor. I'm no longer surprised by that because it's happened so often. I used to get really surprised by it. It's no longer surprising because I go into every circumstance, every situation, God willing, thinking, okay, God, you're going to do something here. I know you are actively working here, wherever this is, on this airplane, in this airport, in this coffee shop, at this restaurant, in this office, at this baseball game. I know you are at work here can I please be a part of it? Just use me in some way. They went and they saw amazing things happen. Isn't that incredible? It says they went, went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So go. 
Go in utter dependency on Christ and go expectantly and then watch what he does and be in awe and be amazed. Father, we are so desperate for you. And God, I am reminded this morning in even in my own weakness and what should have been a, a wheelhouse message for me ends up being broken words from a broken man. But God, I pray infused by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, what I want more than anything right now is for hearts to be turned and for you to receive all of the glory. I pray, God, for anyone right now who is feeling like you are doing something in their life that feels like something in this message was for them. God, right now, I pray specifically for them that they would know that that is from you. That was not because of lofty words of wisdom, but that is because of you. And I pray that they would turn to you and that they would crave more of you. They would find themselves in you. God, we love you and we need you desperately. Amen.